and welcome to the Tuesday morning men's Bible study at Park City's Presbyterian Church. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome, whether this is your church home or if you're another part of a church in our community or you don't have a church home, we're so glad that you are here. And so let me just set the stage of what we're going to do this morning and what we're going to do in our semester together in the book of Colossians. Here at Park City's Presbyterian Church, we believe that the Word of God has power. That what we hold in our hands, that actually many actually died for us, that we could hold it in our hand and read it for ourselves, that this is God's Word. It has been recorded for us, and it is relevant for us, not just because we can relate to people who lived 2,000 years ago, but because the Word of God is living and active. And the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to change us because it points us to Jesus. We believe Jesus is on every page from Genesis to Revelation. And so we come this morning as men expectantly that God will actually show us Jesus and conform us into his image through his Word. And so what we're doing today is really simple but incredibly profound. What we do each and every Tuesday morning is we simply come as men, we open God's word together, and we ask the question, where is Jesus in this, and what does that have to do with my life? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. That's what we're going to do next Tuesday and every Tuesday in this semester together in the book of Colossians. And so very simply, this is what we're going to do. Each week, a pastor will teach for about 30 minutes to set up a table discussion for you as men to really press into one another and to press into God's word together. And that word together is really important. What we do not want is for you to live vicariously through a pastor like me. I call that vicarious spirituality or vicarious Christianity. You know what that means? It means that you don't go to the word on your own, that you simply allow me or another pastor to, to set it up for you without you doing the hard spiritual work of saying, okay, Holy Spirit, how does this have to do with your life? And so we're going to do our best to land the plane about 735 so that you can then meet together as men at your tables. If you do not have a table yet, please see Elaine at the front and make sure that you have a table. If there's a group of guys that you know that you'd like to be with, let her know. We'll make sure that we can pull up a chair. Okay, but it's so important that you have a group of men at a table that you can meet with each and every week. And I would encourage you, don't duck out after the lesson uh, that we're speaking, but make sure you stick around for that table discussion. It's the most important part of this morning together. The last thing I'll say is at your tables, there should be a couple things. There should be a handout. Looks like this. Okay, you'll have the passage each and every week here as well as the table discussion questions. I've encouraged the leaders to recognize that you're not going to get through all of these this morning. This is a choose-your-own-adventure, so pick a couple questions as a table and work through those, and you can look through the rest throughout the week. The other thing you'll see at your table is a sign-in sheet. Would you please do that even if you've registered? We just want to double-check that we know who is at each table. And we also want to make sure that we have a good email address for you. So make sure you fill that out before you leave. Last thing I want to say, and we'll make sure we say it again next week, great opportunity for you uh, beyond this is to go on one of our silent retreats. 
I know that maybe uh, either seems foreign to you or maybe doesn't sound fun, but that is three days of silence in the Colorado wilderness, being alone with the Lord and his word. It, if you've never done it, it's an incredible experience to fast from the noise of this world, which we have a lot of right now, and to hear the voice of God. So the dates for that are November 10th through 14th in Colorado. If you have any questions about that, you can come see me, or you can email carolann.axley at pcpc.org. All right, it's good to be together. Uh, we were praying earlier this morning, and it is just, we haven't done this in a while, like this. Uh, we had uh, Zoom for a while. We had a hybrid of Zoom and the meeting in the sanctuary, and then this morning to be together again as the men of God before our work day is an incredible blessing and privilege. And so welcome. Glad you're here. I know we have a couple groups that are also meeting on Zoom this week, and so we're glad you guys are with us as well. Let me pray, and let's dive into the book of Colossians together. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the opportunity that you've given us and the freedom which we have to come on a Tuesday morning before work to open your word and to literally be changed. Not because this is some mysterious book or this is a textbook or this is instructions for life, but because this is your very word that you not only recorded to the saints at Colossae, but that you've recorded for all generations of your saints throughout time. And that includes us this morning. And so help us to come to you reverently, with open hands, asking that you, Holy Spirit, would use your word to pierce us through, that it would indeed be living and active for us this morning, and that we would be changed by the gospel, that we would leave this place as we go to wherever we're going and work with a greater vision of you, Jesus Christ, and that we would begin to see that you have joined us to you, Jesus, so much so that we have new identities, that we are in Christ. I pray now that you would work that reality in us and that that would be the thing that marks us, not only today, but all the days of our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are studying the book of Colossians together. And so as we get into the book, I want to begin by talking about why this book was written. Uh, really, one of the things I want to begin with is this, that if you spend any time in the New Testament, especially the, uh, the letters of Paul... You have to begin with this understanding that Paul is writing not only as an apostle, but he's writing as a pastor. And any of Paul's letters, you have to first recognize that is exactly what they are. This is a letter. We are spending the semester together reading Paul's letter to the Colossians. And what that means is that there is an occasion, there is a reason that Paul wrote this letter. Paul is not writing simply as a theologian. He's not writing to record some theology like this is a theological treatise, or he's writing a textbook of theology that he just wants us to have recorded for all generations. 
He is not writing as if he's in some kind of vacuum from an ivory tower. Let me just, I'm pondering the things of God today and let me just write this down. But Paul is writing as an apostle and a pastor to a particular church in a particular place because he's trying to correct a particular issue. And what's unique about Paul's letter to the Colossians is that he had never been there. So you have to think about that. That's where we're going to begin. Paul had never been to this church. He didn't start this church. He had never pastored this church. We'll see in the book of Colossians that he longs to be with them eventually, to meet them. But as we'll see in our passage this morning, that Epaphras is the one who served as their pastor and likely their planter. And, and so as we read this, we have to ask, well, what, then why would Paul write a letter to a church that he'd never been to? But that's not the only thing you need to know. He's not just writing as an apostle and a pastor to a church he'd never been to, but Paul is writing from prison. As we read the book of Colossians, we'll find clues that Paul is in chains. He is in prison. And we don't know the exact date or place, but we know it would have been either Rome or Ephesus or Caesarea. If he's writing from Rome, it would have been around 62. That's 62 AD, long time ago. I, I tend to think that he's probably writing from Ephesus, really because of location, that Colossae is close to Ephesus. If you also, if you spend time in the book of Ephesians, you'll see some similarities between these two books. And if he's writing from Ephesus, he's probably writing closer to around 50 AD. The important thing is you know that Paul is in prison. He is in prison because of the gospel. And he's going to great lengths to write to a church that he's never been to. And so I want you to put yourself in Paul's shoes this morning. I want you to imagine what that must have been like for him. And I want you to ask the question, well, then what would compel a man to make sure a letter is sent from his hand, from prison, to a church he'd never been to? And as we'll see in our study together, it's because the culture had begun to seep into their church in such a way that it had diminished their view of Jesus Christ. I keep, and some of you have seen this before, I keep this right here in my office. Yes, you have it right. This is a Jesus Christ action figure. Uh, he has Gumby arms, which is pretty amazing, actually. I keep this in my office as a reminder of the mockery that Jesus has become in our, in our world. <laughs> as a reminder that when people think of Jesus... They might not think of a Gumby action figure, that, but they probably think of a guy who looks a little bit like this. And I'll tell you right now, we won't get into this today, but he looked nothing like this. He was a Middle Eastern Arab man. Hard to say if he wore a red cloak, but he probably wore sandals and a, and a tunic kind of like this. But I keep this in my office as a reminder that Jesus has become a, a mockery, a caricature, an action figure, uh, like a work of fiction. And I keep it as a reminder to, to remind me that of what we are up against today sometimes is overt, that people literally will go and contend and go to war against the person of Jesus. 
But most oftentimes, what we're up against in the South, in a city like Dallas, Texas, is much more subversive. That yes, I, I believe and I know each of you probably will encounter some kind of opposition, probably even this week, directly against Jesus and following Jesus. I know that's true. But my guess is, it's the beard, my guess is, that what you will probably encounter is something more subversive. You will encounter a diminished view of Jesus that has seeped into your own understanding because of the culture around us. And in those ways, we share a lot of similarity to the Colossian church. The city of Colossae was a Gentile city. What I mean by that is it was a non-Jewish city. This was a Roman city part of a Roman province, a city that was experiencing pluralism. Have you heard that word before? We are peering back 2,000 years to a pluralistic town that had influences of lots of different religions and philosophies. There was, even in a Gentile Roman city, Jewish influence, and what we'll see in our study of Colossians is that Judaism was warped and twisted, wasn't pure Judaism, but it had changed, and especially as it kind of it was syncretized with Roman culture, that Judaism became something different. But we also see in the book of Colossians paganism, and even the worship of angels, not as recognizing what they are as lower than God, but actually seeing them as gods. And what we see is there's a pluralism at work in the book of Colossians that has begun to seep into the church. And it caused this little church and this little pluralistic town to have a low, diminished view of Jesus. So as we read Colossians, we will see some of the highest and most exalting language in the entire New Testament about the person of Jesus Christ. There's a reason for that. Paul wanted the Colossian church to have a high view of Jesus. And what I want you to begin to see in our study together is he wants us, the Holy Spirit, God himself, wants us to have a high view of Jesus. As we work through this letter, the other theme that we'll see and what we're going to talk about this morning is that when you have a diminished view of Jesus, you begin to have a diminished understanding of who you are in Christ. And Paul will begin by using a phrase that he will use 160 times in the New Testament. And that phrase is this, in Christ. 160 times Paul uses those words. That phrase, in Christ, I would tell you, is the foundation for the Christian life. For Paul, he didn't even use the word Christian as identity marker, the way that we use it today. He used the phrase, in Christ. That when you have a high view of Jesus, and you begin to understand that if you are a Christian, that means you have been united to Jesus, to this King, to this Savior, to the very Messiah. That if you are in Christ, that means you are so identified with who He is in His real person that it changes every single thing about your life that it becomes your primary identity and the thing that informs everything. And so this morning, if I was going to give this particular lesson a title, it would be this, In Christ at Colossae. 
we see those words, and if I want you to look at the handout, in verse 2, we'll read the whole passage in just a second. But in verse 2, again, this is a letter to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. In the Greek, what we literally see here is almost a play on words. In Christ, in Colossae. Paul first addresses their spiritual location, who they are as their identity in Christ, and then he recognized that as people in Christ, they are in a physical place. And so for us, 2,000 years later, perhaps a better title would be In Christ at Dallas. For such a time as this, God has called us as men to this city and this place, but he has called us in a way that we, as we read this letter together, find a commonality with those men who've gone before us 2,000 years ago. A commonality over generations and generations of this word being passed down. And a commonality with his church scattered all over the world to get today. That we primarily as men, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are in Christ. And that has something to say about your life in Dallas. And so let me read our passage this morning, and then I want to just talk about three things very briefly before you go to your table. I want to talk about what it means to be in Christ just by looking at Paul's greeting. Again, this is a letter, so we're looking at Paul's greeting, the way he starts a letter, and why that matters to our identity in Christ. So this is Paul, the apostle, and this is God's word for us this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it is also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit." This is God's word for us this morning. I'm going to talk about what it means to be in Christ. And the first thing I want to point out to you is that we are in Christ by the very will of God. I want you to look at verse 1 with me. And I want you to recognize that Paul begins all of his letters in a very similar way. And because we recognize this is a letter... And he's beginning this in a similar way to many of those letters. It's easy to kind of skip over this part because it almost seems like a form letter. And I want to challenge you not to do that. Because though this, these are the formal greetings of Paul to the Galatian church, there is a lot here for us to see. A lot here that I think even applies to us. Paul begins, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, brother. So he's beginning by telling the Colossian hearers, they would have heard this, not simply read it, right? They would have heard this read at their assembly. There, he, this is a greeting. He's telling, this is who it's from. This is from Paul and Timothy. 
And it's likely that Paul penned all of this, and, and Timothy somehow, perhaps we think, probably maybe brought the letter. There's lots of different theories about that, right? But you have both Paul and Timothy together, and Paul, as the apostle, as the leader, is writing to this Colossian church, and he's letting them know this is who is sending this, and he's giving himself an identity marker. He says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And we see this similar kind of greeting in most of the letters. Let me just give you a few examples. This is Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart by the gospel of God. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Galatians 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Ephesians 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Philippians 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. And then, of course, here again, Colossians 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. If you are listening to those greetings, you begin to hear a theme. Paul is not just giving his name, but he's also wanting them to understand that he is an apostle. An apostle is one who is sent by Jesus as an eyewitness to the truths of the gospel. We know that the original disciples are apostles because they were actually eyewitnesses. They were there. But if you know the story of Paul, you know that his witness was a little different. And it truly was by the will of God. You see, Paul was a murderer of Christians. Now, some of you, if you've grown up in church, maybe you've heard that story before. For others of you, that could be new. But you don't realize before Paul became an apostle, before he wrote the bulk of the New Testament, the apostle Paul was a murderer of Christians. He, he said himself that he was a Jew of all Jews, right? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, that he was one who was so zealous for the Jewish faith that he persecuted Christians in this new thing called the way, this early Christian church. And there, as Paul was traveling on a road to Damascus, going with a hit list to go and put Christians to death, Jesus, this is the risen Jesus, Jesus met him on the road. He knocked him down off of his feet. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, I begin with that for a lot of reasons. The first is this. I want you to know who Paul was as we read this letter. That as you see, Paul's talking about the gospel and the grace of God. He talks about the will of God. He's not missing around. Again, he's not writing from an ivory tower. Let me just think of some theology to dispense to you. No, Paul is writing not only as a pastor, but as someone who's experienced the will of God and the grace of God for himself. He was a murderer of Christians, and Jesus met him on that road. And in an instant, he was converted by the Holy Spirit. 
he became a brother in Christ, and then God used him to further the gospel, literally to the ends of the earth. And we have now his service in our hands as we read this letter to the Colossians. The other reason why I mention that story is that the book of Acts makes clear when it tells that story that Jesus said, Saul, Saul. By the way, that's just Paul's name in Hebrew. Some people like to say, well, I guess his name changed uh, when he became a Christian. But no, that Paul is the Greek version. Saul is the Hebrew version. In fact, one of my Old Testament um, professors in college, and this was at A&M, so not Bible school, <laughs> was an Orthodox Jew, and he loved to call me Saul just to mess with me. Um, <laughs> so that it has no bearing on kind of his relationship to Christ. Saul was his Hebrew name. So here Jesus is saying, Saul, Saul, and notice what he says, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my followers? Why are you persecuting Christians? He doesn't even say, why are you persecuting my church? He says, why are you persecuting me? And as we talk about what it means to be in Christ, to be united to Jesus, I want you to see what that reality looks like from his perspective. That Jesus, when he confronts Paul on the road to Damascus, sees himself so enjoined, so connected, so united to his followers, that when he confronted Paul, he said, why are you persecuting me? So again, when Paul says, greetings, the apostle Paul, by the will of God, this isn't just a platitude, this is not just a greeting, he's not just writing these words, but he recognizing it's by the very will of God that he comes to them as an apostle. And I want you to know it's by the very will of God that we now receive his words as an apostle. It is the very will of God that has you in this chair this morning. The very will of God, wherever you are with Jesus, whether you've been following him for many years, whether today you would say that you have never been closer to him, or today you would say, I am so distant from him and I miss him and I wish I could figure out what it looks like to follow him again. Or for some of you, perhaps you're curious. Maybe you've grown up around church and you said, man, these people are crazy, <laughs> but I'll, I'll check it out anyways. Or, or maybe you've grown up on the outskirts of church and you're curious. I want you to know that it's actually by God's will, whether you believe in him or not, it's by God's will that you're here this morning because he holds all things together. In the same way that he would save a murderer of Christians and use him to further the gospel, he is calling you as his sons to himself so that the kingdom would continue to be extended throughout generations until he comes again. In Christ, we have been joined to him by the will of God. The second thing I want you to know, we'll do this much more quickly, that we are in Christ by faith. I want you to look at verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Again, this idea that we are in Christ, we are joined to Christ, we're united to Christ. How does that happen? How is it that you would be so identified with Jesus as a Christian that Jesus would say, how are you persecuting me? How does that work? How do we have a relationship that was so close that the Bible literally says it's like a marriage, that Jesus is the bridegroom and we are the bride and we are united to him? How does that work? Well, it happens by faith. 
Notice he says, again, don't just glaze over this because it seems like a greeting. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. Now, if you've grown up around Catholicism, you've heard of saints, and you think, well, that's some special category of people, that they become saints because of something good they've done. But what we see actually in the New Testament is that the Bible actually uses that word much more differently than the Catholic Church has over the centuries. The idea of a saint is simply just a Christian, somebody who is in Christ. We see that here in Paul's greeting, to the saints and faithful Brothers, and that word faithful has to do with their faithfulness, not simply to one another, and, and certainly not to Paul or Epaphras, but their faithfulness to Jesus. And what I want you to know is, is as we get into the Colossian story, that even though things are seeping into their church, even though they're, they're beginning to dem- get a diminished view of Jesus, Paul's calling them faithful. He's writing to them even because he hasn't given up on them yet. That he recognizes there's, there's something here that can be redeemed, that they, they're still trying to hold on. And perhaps you feel that way today, that, that you're trying to be faithful in the world that we live. But as we see our culture unravel around us, and, and we see our culture even seeping into the walls of the church, diminishing our view of Jesus, that you still, there's something in you that still wants to hold on, Right? And that's what we see here in this, this Colossian letter to the faithful, to the saints, the faithful brothers in Christ. They're in Christ because of faith, because they've believed in Jesus. For them, it didn't happen that long before, right? Again, this is probably around 50 AD. But for most of them in this Gentile Roman province, they had never seen Jesus either. They'd only heard about him. They didn't see him with their own eyes. They didn't see the marks in his hands. They didn't see the risen Christ. They simply had been told the story just like you and just like me. They had become in Christ, not through sight, but by faith. So the second thing I want you to know as we study this letter together, we do so by faith. This is a faith document, a faith book. We don't do this simply intellectually. We do it by faith. We do it through the Holy Spirit. As you read the Word, as you spend time in the Word, I want to encourage you this week, don't just stop here, but read over this again. Spend some time in the book of Colossians. If you've never read Colossians all the way through, I would encourage you, do that this week. It won't take you long. But as you do, do so by faith. And ask by faith that the Holy Spirit would show you something new of a greater vision of Jesus. The third thing and the last thing I want to mention to you. I want you to know what it means to be in faith by grace and for his peace. By grace and for his peace. At the end of every greeting, just like there's a beginning to every greeting in a letter... We also see something very similar in the letters of Paul. Again, I want to give you just a few examples. Romans 1 verse 7, To those who in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Again, 1 Corinthians 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians all say grace to you and peace from God our Father. And then, of course, here in Colossians, 
grace to you, and peace from God our Father. Now again, this is much more than just a saying, much more than just a greeting. But I think Paul is communicating something deep here about what it means to be in Christ. That in Christ we have grace and we have peace. And throughout the letter to the Colossians we'll see that. That it is only by grace that we are saved. We see that here in our passage this morning, Colossians 1 verse 6. It says, this gospel has come to you as indeed in the whole world is in bearing fruit is increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. And what we'll see throughout our study is that the grace of God is just as difficult for us to understand today as it was back then. There's something in us that just puts up a wall when it comes to the grace of God. We think that somehow this is something we have to earn, we have to be deserving We want so badly to make ourselves righteous, and this is nothing new. We'll see it in the letter to the Colossians. It is only by the grace of God that we are in Christ. But this is also for our peace. One of the great themes that we'll see in the book of Colossians is that it is the gospel that gives us peace. Peace in two ways. Peace with God and peace with one another. This is where we'll end, and then we'll send you to your tables. Colossians 1, verse 19. It's not on your sheet. You can write this down and just listen. We'll be looking at this passage in a couple weeks. This is from one of my favorite sections, the book of Colossians. Again, this giving us great vision of Jesus. Paul writes, For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Can't say that about this. <laughs> In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What we will see together, brothers, is that Jesus Christ is the King of kings. He is God himself incarnate. The fullness of God came to dwell in him bodily. And God sent him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace by the blood of the cross. It is only because of the cross of Christ that we have peace with God. Without the cross, we deserve his wrath and judgment, but we now have peace with him because of Jesus. But being united to Jesus... So much so that we now call God our Father and Christ our brother now makes us brothers. Because we are all united to Jesus, that also means that we are united to one another. And as we now live in an increasingly divided world, we have the great opportunity as men who've been called to such a time as this to be so united to Jesus and so united to one another that we would stand as a counter-cultural movement in our time so that a pluralistic world that we live in would see that Jesus really is the Son of God. And so let me pray for you as we embark on this journey through the letter to Colossians together. Send you to your tables. If you don't have a table yet, please see Elaine or myself. We'll make sure that you get one. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you so much for your word. 
Thank you for your servant, Paul. Thank you by your will that you saved him on that road to Damascus, that you, Jesus, appeared to him, that you called him to yourself, and then that you used him to be your servant. Would we see that we are just ordinary men like him, that perhaps by your will you would call us? And so I pray that this semester together we would be in Christ, that we would see who we are in our true identity, that that would sink deeply into those of us who've been walking with you on the way. And for any of us this morning that are just curious or trying to figure that out or have so much baggage from just a terrible view of Christianity that's of people that have, have given you a bad name, Lord, help us to see what it, who you really are, Jesus, your greatness and glory and majesty, but help us also what it means to see ourselves as being united to you, Jesus, and in doing so to be united to one another in a divided world. Lord, help us to embody that as we live in a pluralistic world ourselves, that we would have a high view of Jesus and what it means to be in Christ. I pray this for myself and for every man here and every man watching, that this would be the thing that you do in us and through us, through your word this semester together in the book of Colossians. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.